Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 665, air date June 29th, 2020. Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Shiva Ayadure, and uh, it is 10.15. For people on the West Coast, I think it's around 7, but it's uh, Sunday evening, and we're going to have a very, very uh, deep talk about... Um, racism, because I think it's an important topic. We're going to review some slides from before, but I have a very young activist, Bradley Souffrant. He's from Brockton, Mass. Brockton, Massachusetts is a, uh, a very important community. A lot of people, uh, a lot of the black communities there have all different backgrounds. And we're going to have a discussion about what is racism and how do we really win the fight against racism? How do we, meaning black and white, and I've talked about this before, but we're going to go deeper uh, into this discussion. So uh, I hope uh, everyone's going to enjoy it. Before I start, as everyone knows, we welcome everyone. We have people joining us from Malaysia, we have people Arizona, we have people from Tanzania. Interesting. Um, we haven't had that before. Uh, who else? Greetings from Bangladesh, India. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tennessee, Massachusetts, we have Mumbai, Texas, Canada, London, Australia. So Bradley, are you there? Let me see Bradley's there. Bradley, you're there. Can you say hello? Hello. Okay. So we're, we're just logging people. So I just want to make sure people can see you. Let me just, I'll, I'll come back to you, Bradley. So we also have people from Lincoln, Nebraska, Maryland, New Jersey, uh, Melissa from Boston, Wisconsin. Uh, Washington, D.C., Delaware, um, Philippines, Detroit, and Flint, 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 Michigan, uh, Sydney, Australia, Bloomington, Indiana, West Palm Beach. And it's coming in. Okay. So we have, we're getting close to about a thousand people here. We'll keep waiting. Uh, Sarasota, Florida, Buenos Aires. I was in Argentina about six months ago, Pennsylvania, Israel. Newport News, Virginia, Spring, Texas, Connecticut, Colorado, where else? Virginia, Pennsylvania, Sydney, Australia. So anyways, people are joining. Look, um, racism is a very, very important <clears throat> discussion for us to go deeper into. Um, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I did one of the first discussions on real racism and then, then young Pharaoh and I had a discussion on real racism versus fake racism. And now we're going to get even deeper with some young, act, uh, with young activists because uh, this discussion on racism is extremely important because we don't want another generation of activists being misled by Uncle Tom's and Aunt Jemima's. And I'll talk about that. The same people who profit from racism, black and white. And uh, we're going to talk about that. And, and we have a very good story here because... Um, uh, myself and uh, Bradley were speaking earlier, how you'll realize how someone like him, who's a very sincere young activist, was basically used by the liberal elite opposition. And then we're going to go deeper into it, but we're really going to get into the nuts and bolts of it. It's going to be a real detailed discussion. I'm going to assume people know nothing about racism. And I want people to clear all their um old ideas about what they think racism is. And that's how we're going to talk. Anyway, we have Serbia, Pennsylvania, uh, Malice Ivanka Chan from Washington, D.C., 
Kentucky, uh, Tamil Nadu, uh, which is a, a, a state in India where I grew up in Colombia, Canada, Georgia, Puerto Rico, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Nevada, Colorado, Pennsylvania, Saskatchewan, Queensland, Florida. Great. A lot of great people from all over the world joining us. Uh, uh, someone saying Pharaoh says that the death in George Floyd was staged. California is here, Alabama, Eastern Kentucky, Minnesota, Texas. Okay, let's start. Um, let me first begin, as many of you know, I always like to share with people that I'm running for United States Senate. And our US Senate election is more than just an election for running for office. It's not an opportunist. It's not a, I'm not a career politician. None of you here are interested in that. And that's why you've been galvanized uh, to what our election's been about. And as a part of that, what I wanted to do to really, um, uh, really help people understand what our election is about, is some of you may know, I put a video out. It's a two minute, it's about two minutes, 20 second video, which really talks about what our campaign's about. So I thought um, to really sort of level set things, I wanted to take a few minutes, literally two minutes before I start this to really uh, play that for everyone. So everyone understands sort of what the theme of our election is and it'll really set the tone for the talk we're gonna uh, give today. Because I think the more people understand wh what this movement for truth, freedom, health is about, then we're gonna all have a big opportunity to win. And so let me let me uh, start this here, one second. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna start this here. And let me, Bradley, hold on uh, one second, Bradley. I'm gonna start this for people. Let me go here. All right, everyone, so just be patient here. I want to play people this video here. All right, so here we go. Let me bring this up. All right, here we go. So I'm going to turn this up. So this is our current campaign video, which I want to play for people, and I think it'll give you a really good appreciation for where this whole campaign and why this is important today's talk. Who would have ever thought I'd be running for United States Senate? I was born a low caste untouchable in India's caste system, a system of aristocracy, oppression and racism. My name is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. I'm an MIT PhD, a Fulbright scholar, a scientist, entrepreneur and inventor. My family and I left India to come to America on my seventh birthday. I grew up in the working class neighborhoods of New Jersey, playing baseball, mowing lawns, painting houses and coding software. My friends and neighbors are black, Italians, Irish, people of all races. As a 14 year old, I created the world's first email system long before I ever heard of MIT. Growing up, I saw politicians dividing us by race and religion in America or India to have us fighting each other while they were safe in their gated communities with their lawyers by their side. I'm a fighter. I fought racism, exposed their imperialist wars, fought for workers and put my life on the line against global corruption. I never wanted to run for political office. All that changed in 2016. Americans rose up against the establishment. We remembered we had all left a world of injustice to come to America to make a better life. 
We realize lawyers, academics, and politicians, elites, Clintons, Romneys, Kennedys, Obamas, Bushes, black and white, had hijacked America. They gave bailouts to their friends. They delivered crumbling infrastructure, corruption, and racism, dividing black and white, killing us, fear-mongering and fake science, lockdowns and censorship, dirty air, food, and water, pushing drugs upon us, making us sicker. We've been sold out. One set of rules for them, another for us. We deserve a warrior with a history of courage who will put everything on the line for you. It's time to fight and win back America. That's why I'm running for U.S. Senate. This race is about truth, freedom, and health versus power, profit, and control. We've had enough. They think we'll fall in line and vote again for their lawyers who get them off crimes. They never can represent us. What America needs is digital rights. We need citizen science. We need real health with no middlemen. We don't have time. We must do it now. We don't need them. We need us to go bottoms up, neighbor to neighbor. My journey, your journey are all the same. It's our time. It's time we add one of us. It's time we make America great for all of us. Vote for Dr. Shiva Ayodhure on September 1st. So anyway, I hope that helps people understand where I'm coming from, because for far too long, what's happened in the world is that a, a set of people who claim they want to help us, black and white, have essentially created a new aristocracy in this country. And that aristocracy profits from racism. It doesn't want racism to end. In fact, it takes advantage of people. It tries to find people who actually want to fight racism and it manipulates them. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, let me see if our friends are here. Great. So that's, uh, oh, I think John Medlar just joined us too. John, are you here with us? Jen, let me bring, hey, Jen, did you connect John up? Jen? Okay, we'll have Jen joining us too. So, um, let, so uh, our campaign for U.S. Senate, those of you who've been watching it, has a couple of very important elements to it. Uh, and if you want to find more about the campaign, you can go directly to this website called shivaforsenate.com, S-H-I-V-A, shivaforsenate.com. And I just want to make sure people are aware of this website, shivaforsenate.com. You go right up to this website. And the central theme of this website, which is portrayed right here, is truth, freedom, and health. And what do we mean by that? This is not just words as I keep saying. Freedom is the fundamental ability for all of us to have conversations like we're going to do today, to be open to, without censorship, without, and today we have five major companies which control our communications, Vodafone, AT&T, um, Verizon, and Google, and Facebook. These countries, these, and, and Twitter, these companies control our entire discourse. It has been removed away from the public comment, so we need to reestablish that, and our plan for that is digital rights. And, and that's to bring back the Postal Service, believe it or not, to do their job. So that's freedom. Now, with freedom, we can really get to something very important called truth because freedom gives us the ability to have discourse. And when we have real discourse, we can really practice a scientific method, which is about observing things very humbly, asking questions, not scientific consensus. Scientific consensus is the opposite of the scientific method, and you get to fiction. And But when you ask the right questions when you're openly asking get to truth and with truth we can address the real problems and get real solutions to really identify the health for our body our communities our infrastructure the question of racism is one of these questions what is the real problem with racism and that question we have an opportunity to do when we take a systems approach and with health we can have the strength to fight for freedom those of you who want who are in the united states 
and want to support the campaign, you can go right to our website. You can donate to the website. And by the way, I don't, as I mentioned, I don't, I, I don't like taking money from people without giving something. So when you support our campaign, everyone gets access to this very powerful ebook called System and Revolution, which is a condensed set of knowledge about what is a system, your body, the environment, transportation, healthcare, any kind of system, your computer. You can understand that the five fundamental principles of all systems and the nine fundamental principles of all intelligent systems. And what is really revolution? This book is really the next step in evolution for us to really have real change. And then you can use those principles so you can appreciate them in a laboratory called Your Body, Your System. And this is for anyone who supports a campaign. Now, those of you outside of the United States, people have said, hey, I still want access. You can go directly to Your Body, Your System. And this tool helps you really apply those systems principles. So you can understand how your body is composed or any system is composed of three forces, transport, conversion, and storage. You can ask a set of questions to yourself honestly and you can figure out what kind of system you are, then it lets you figure out how your system can get off course. That's the black dot. And how you can then bring your system back into alignment with you, where you operate the best by the right inputs. In this case, the inputs are food, supplements, etc. In the case of an airplane, which is off course, it's adjusting the wings, it's adjusting the you know fuel, thrust, etc. But it's the same engineering control systems principles. So I want every one of you to go to your body, your system, if you're from outside, and if you're from the United States, support the campaign, because this is truly a campaign for truth, freedom, and health. So having said that, let me um, stop the screen here, and I'm gonna bring Bradley on. And when I bring Bradley on, our conversations, Bradley's gonna share with us who he is. Uh, he's a young activist. And then Bradley's gonna talk about how he learned about our campaign. And then we're gonna ask a set of questions, particularly like, what is racism? How do we, you know, he's from Brockton, Mass, as he'll share with you. What are the things we really need to do to help the inner cities? And maybe a few other questions. And we're gonna really go deep into what is racism and how do we really fight it? So let me bring uh, Bradley on here. Bradley, are you there? Hold on, let me take, Bradley, are you there? I'm here. All right, Bradley, so why don't you tell people, you know, your name, what you do in Brockton, you know, just a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, my name is Bradley Sufra, number one. I come from Brockton, Massachusetts, grew up there since 04, originally born in Boston, but I claim the city to five away solely because of the fact that that's where I learned how to become who I truly am inside. Moving forward, though, um, what got me into activism, I think I was in high school, there was a system named the demerit system that disproportionately disciplined black students for non-drug, non-violent, non-criminal offenses and motivated me being one of those students that was affected by it, but who have mastered not to get in trouble no more to be a voice for the youth. So that's when I first started organizing, creating my first um, organization named Pioneers and Protégés, a brotherhood of young students um, of color, and we had some white as well, and we made sure that we created solutions to what was going on for the populace of 4,500 students in the school. We went to the school committee meeting, we got in the newspaper, we did a school walkout. That was my first um, taste of being an activist. Moving forward though, in 2019, I ran for mayor of Brockton. I think I was 19 years old, um, 19 going on 20. And one of the reasons- Hey Bradley, can you come closer to the microphone? People can't hear you. 100%. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, just make sure you speak okay. into your microphone, yeah. Okay, cool. 
So one of the main things is that when I ran for mayor of Brockton, I was running solely because of the fact that I found it imperative to become the change that I wanted to see. See, I was tired of the same old politics. This is why when I heard about his campaign and I saw that he stood for something outside of the norm, it made me realize that I may still have hope in politics because not every candidate is running that's running is running with the status quo. Some are really running to actually make change. And I can relate to that as a young individual. So yeah, that's just a little bit about myself. Yeah. So Bradley, how did you find out about our campaign and, and what is it that drew you to it? I think people, you know, would be valuable for you to share your perspective before we get into the discussion. Well, it was really because um, I watched your live with Young Pharaoh. That's number one. Number two, uh, a, a best friend of mine, Barbara Joseph, really had um, the energy to sit here and build with me and tell me about you. She was like, oh my God, Brad, you have to meet this guy. This guy right here, he's really for the people. This guy right here, he really means well for Americans. We have to support him. And Barbara doesn't just support anyone. So the fact that she was giving her energy as an influencer in Massachusetts to you made me say, you know what? Let me research his policies. Let me research what he's about. So I watched that video. And when I heard your story, my brother, it made me realize that you're genuine about what you're doing. And this is why I said, you know what? I will most definitely give him the benefit of the doubt. I will listen and I will learn. Because in all reality, what we need is solutions to the problems we face today. Great. So, so Bradley, I think the question, what's, what's the main question we want to start with? I think we said, what is racism, right? That would be the best question to start with, yes. Yeah, so, so Bradley, um, I thought the best way we approach that is we have a discussion about the Boston free speech rally, right? And what's, what's interesting about this discussion is um, someone is making a lot of noise. I don't know who that is. Um, Someone is moving around a lot. Is that me or you? It's not me, brother. Uh, so, um, so someone's on this call. Someone else. All right, can you guys hear me? Bradley, are you there? I'm here. All right, it feels, it feels like there's someone else on this who's making clicking sounds. Is someone else driving on your end? No. Bradley? No. Said. All right, test. Okay. So, huh, it's really weird. I hear people clicking. Do you hear that? I can hear it, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna... Hey, Jen, are you there right now? Jen? Let's see who this is. Okay, is that better? Yeah, I don't think we hear it anymore now, right? Oh, I still hear it. Hey, uh, Jen, I think your volume is what's doing it. Jennifer, 
Is that better? Good. We don't hear it now. Okay. Do you hear that? This is this is really hold on. All right. Hey Jennifer, if you're listening, we can hear your keyboard clicks. Okay. So uh, Bradley, so I think we wanted to have a conversation because the Boston Free Speech Rally is hold on one second. This is sort of hey John Medlar, are you on this? Someone is on this call that we cannot hear. Bradley, you have no one else adjusting something on your end? No one else in that room typing the keyboard? It's really interesting. When I add you on, I hear that, I hear clicking. Interesting, okay. Um, so anyway, it's a little bit annoying if people can hear it. There's, there's, there's someone clicking on this call. So I'm going to mute you and then I'm going to bring you in. So the, the discussion was Bradley had been at the Boston free speech rally, which was in August, 2017. And, uh, that free speech rally was something that I was invited to speak at and by young activists in Boston. Young activists wanted to really have a conversation in Massachusetts, for that matter, in Boston, the fact at the Boston Common on uh, why there was censorship of speech. And they invited these young kids, invited people of all backgrounds. They invited left, right, north, south, Green Party, people from you know the leftist party, people from people who are into marijuana, people who are into Trump, People into right wing, left wing stuff. Everyone was invited because they felt that the discourse in this country had been squelched. So that was in March of 2017. Um, and I was one of the people invited to speak at that event. And I said, great, because I really wanted activists. I support activism. I've been an activist all my life. Um, so that was in March of 2017. If you remember in August, I think it was it August uh, 15th or three uh, was Charlottesville. Charlottesville was an event down in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, and that was three days before our event, which was supposed to take, I believe, August 19th, 2017. Well, when that event took place, the two uh, quote unquote leaders in Massachusetts, one of them being Marty Walsh, who's a complete racist and democrat and another the governor of massachusetts is another racist and i'll tell you why they're racist uh republican governor um charlie baker deemed that our rally <clears throat> was also a racist event that it was being run by nazis all right and they branded the entire event as a racist event three days before this event and then and, and, and they got all the black folk in Boston and all the quote unquote liberals who supposedly cared about racism to get ready to, to kick the Nazis out of Boston. All right. That's what happened The Boston. So they basically got everyone riled up and that riling up resulted in many sincere activists coming up to this rally to think that they were coming to kick out the Nazis. 
Now, what many people didn't know is Marty Walsh, who's been the center of racism in a city that is so racially divided, Boston, where the average net worth of a black person is $8 and that of a wealthy white person is $257,000, 30,000 more, has done nothing about racism in Boston. For that matter, for poor whites even. He got on the bandwagon, and by the way, he was running against a black guy, right? Uh, who was Tito Jackson. And Tito's, frankly, not a fighter against racism. He's part of the Tomism. And we can talk about that. And Charlie Baker was running against a Hispanic guy whose name was Jay Gonzalez, okay? Another, you know, coconut, as we say, for, among Hispanics, okay? But anyway, they needed the optics to act as though that they were fighting against racism. So they, they got on this bandwagon and they um, acted as though they were fighting against racism and they, and they put forward themselves as the fighters against racism. And they literally got 40,000 people. And I'm going to share this with you to show up at, to fight against the, the Nazis who were coming into Boston. Okay. And this is what happened. You can see the scene here. All right. This was the day of the Boston free speech rally. This is 40,000 people on the streets of Boston <clears throat> who are coming to chase away the Nazis. That's what you see there. And you see it there. You see Boston, no time for hate, um, et cetera. And look, there's an Obama logo there, you know, Black Lives Matter. <clears throat> Essentially, all of these people showed up to fight the Nazis. And Jay, I mean, um, and I think um, Bradley, I think it'd be important for the audience to learn that you were also in that audience, which we just found out today, right? Let me just come back to you. So tell us what what made you go, because I think you were you were a sincere activist who got caught up in this. Go ahead, Bradley. Yeah, I, I, I had to go solely because of the fact that I. If you get them closer to the mic, people can hear you. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Get yeah. Speak okay. closer to the mic. That, like, I was saying that like we or the people, because I have an organization named TTY, Teach Truth Youth. I always teach to the students that we have to stand up against racism. So once that situation took place in Boston, where we felt like individuals felt comfortable enough to wake up and say, we're going to protest on behalf of what we believe that is against us as a race, we said we had to show up. So once we went, we went with the intentions of standing for our people, of being genuine, and really being a part of the change and the solution as opposed to the pollution. Yeah, but Bradley, I think, why don't you tell people clearly, you were on the other side. You thought you were fighting Nazis, right? You thought you were coming to an anti-racist rally, right? I, I really believed that I was fighting Nazis and the KKK members. That's what I believe. That's why I- Right, and I think a lot of people did. A lot of people did. So that's what that's what's interesting. I want to bring out in this that these people who came to this event were riled up because two politicians who are up for office, two politicians who are running for office, who are basically racist themselves, two racists, Marty Walsh and Charlie Baker, complete racists. They had galvanized because remember, they need to get the black vote. They need to get the Hispanic vote. And you have to understand that the there are a lot of what I call anti 
and Uncle Tom's, for historically Barack Obama, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton. Those people are a wing of the Democratic Party, typically, or the GOP establishment liberal wing, Charlie Baker, and they work hand in hand to try to basically keep people in alignment, corral them back into one of those parties' votes. Again, one guy's running against a black guy, Walsh, one guy's running against a Hispanic guy. So what they did was they used the occasion of Charlottesville and they used the fact that we were having a free speech rally, there people left and right, and they said this was a racist rally. And they manipulated young activists like yourself and others to, and they used them. And by the way, this is how they work. They're very evil. They don't give a damn about racism, but they, they control the media. All the news media said the racists are coming to Boston. They got all the activists, black activist leaders who basically want to suck up to the establishment, be it Walsh or Baker, who went on the streets. They're not really, act, they're not really, fit, they're not real activists. They're top down activists. They, they get paid, they get funded to go into the black community and corral them. And this was a corralling that took place. This picture says it all. Look at this. This is like sheep. They corralled all these people. This is the power of the establishment. This is what they're able to do. And they corralled all these people. And look at this, 40,000 converge to protest controversial free speech rally. And look, what's real, now, this isn't today. This is three years ago. Look, masks. Everyone's wearing masks. Think about this. And these people came to protest and look at the police are there. And this is what they came to protest. We were, this is the thing. Here were the free speech people, 40,000 people here separated by two football. So these people can't even hear what these people are saying. And look who was right there, me. <laughs> All right. And I am not a Nazi, far from it. If anything, I've been fighting racism all my life. And this is what, in fact, just to make, make clear that to people, if people have the opportunity, because this is what needs to be understood. If anyone's been a sincere fighter against racism, it's been me. And if people go to this, if, again, I'm going to go back to just to make this clear. If people go to Shiva for Senate and you literally click on the about page and you go to about Dr. Shiva, you'll see a, a, a section here called Born Fighter. And you can actually go through this. And it has a history of everything I've done here for many, many years to fight racism, okay? So if you go to this site here, let me go back right here, um, you will literally see on this website, this is me right here in, in, let me blow this up, in 1985, fighting the president of MIT because MIT had investments in racist South Africa. Here's a picture of me burning the South African flag, which is one of the, which was, you know, a small set of people oppressing a majority of black South Africans, shooting them in the streets. This is me. And then here's me exposing, you know, building solidarity with MIT student worker, the workers and South Africans. And then here's a picture of me right here. Uh, go back to here, fighting the war against Iraq. So I've been an activist all my life. So the fact, Bradley, that Charlie Baker, the fact that Charlie Baker deemed me as a racist and got away with it and that 40,000 people converged and opened people's eyes how powerful the establishment is in manipulating activists, sincere activists like yourself. 
because look, anyone listening to you knows you're very sincere. You want to help, you know, people in, in the inner cities, you don't want to fight, but the power of the media and the, and the insidious power of these people is very powerful. So if you go back to the scene, what do we see here? We see 40,000 people who came thinking they're fighting racism, right? And what they really came to fight was this. That is a speech, Bradley, that I gave. You see that? And this speech that I gave was a talk saying black lives do matter. Because I realized black lives matter was a wing of the Democratic Party. They weren't really about racism. They were basically the new wing. And by the way, the, the Democrats have always had. And by the way, when I say Democrats, I include the liberal elite of the Republicans. OK, Republicans and Democrats, these are just bullshit terms at the at the lowest level of working people. We're all connected. We all want to end racism. We all want to live in a free world. We will all want to work together for truth. But these two parties, the establishments work together to purposely divide people. So the speech that I gave, by the way, when we were there in that little thing, it was us, the cops, facing 40,000 people. 40,000 people is like Braveheart. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? It was, I said, I cannot believe that I'm here. People think I'm a Nazi. The next day, an Indian newspaper said, I'm a Nazi. Newspaper still to this day, people say, oh, you were with those guys. The woman that started the rally who did like a blessing, she gave a prayer of love. And then she uh, she was into cannabis, right? My speech was basically talking about the fact that we haven't addressed racism in this country. We talked about the lack of free speech in academia, why no academic scientists will speak out against GMOs or vaccines, that black lives do matter, how Joe Biden is a racist, how Hillary Clinton is a racist. You know, she supported... You know, one of the, uh, the Harry Reid or I think uh, Robert Byrd. I'm sorry. He was a he was the head of the Ku Klux Klan. Right. One of the grand dragons. Now, that's the Democrats. Marty Walsh is a Democrat. Charlie Baker is basically a Democrat in sheep's clothing. And I, by the way, I don't care about the Republican Party establishment. I don't care for either party. My point is, there's only one party in Massachusetts, the Republican Party establishment, the Democrats. Again, both both guys running against minorities. So but the real nigga like me, I, I want to use that word because these real racists do not want us to use the N word. They don't want us to. They just want to reduce racism. Don't use the N word and don't and support affirmative action. Then you're not a racist when they're the real plantation owners. And what's fundamentally happened is they have the Republican establishment has said there is no racism. You know what I'm saying, Bradley? They tell black people, there is no racism. You can pull yourself up from your own bootstraps. There is no racism. That's a Republican establishment. The Democrat establishment takes advantage of that and, and reduces racism to don't use the N-word and support affirmative action, which basically pits poor blacks against poor whites. And they've never they don't want to solve the real issue of infrastructure in inner cities, which is what Martin Luther King was used by Bobby Kennedy. Again, the Kennedys are a line of racists, the biggest racists in the world. And they use Martin Luther King, as Martin, as Malcolm X said, it was a march on Washington. If you go back to the 1960s march on Washington, it was orchestrated by the Kennedys and, this, and the Southern Nationalist Christians Conference. They took over it. 
They didn't want to promote Malcolm X because Malcolm X realized that the liberal elites were the real foxes, that the northern liberal elites were the real dangerous, insidious ones. They, they wanted Martin Luther King. He was an acceptable black man for them. You know, came from a prestigious black family, a preacher. By the way, that all the Boston preachers are all sellouts. They all essentially serve the, the, the establishment racists, right? They keep black people down. So Martin Luther King was promoted as a leader. Malcolm was taken out of the picture, and ordinary black people were rising up in inner cities were not included. And, you know, great speech. I have a dream. And there's a lot of people in the audience who said, we don't care about a dream. We care about what's going to happen now. So Malcolm, Martin Luther King was promoted as the activist, right? And they never promoted the real issue of inner cities, which was infrastructure. Today, Massachusetts has an F minus minus in infrastructure by the American Society of Civil Engineers. The worst crumbling bridges, the worst roads, the worst water systems, healthcare systems. You go down the list. Massachusetts didn't get a C or a D, got an F minus minus. So... The black misleadership never addresses that. They like to get on the brand one. Yeah, black lives matter. It's all rhetoric for them. They don't ever want to address the real issues. Marty Walsh is far from anti-racist. He's the biggest racist. He thrives on segregation. And so does Charlie Baker. When I ran as a Republican, you would think Baker would have absorbed me. Instead, he found a, a complete white boy, fool, who photoshopped a picture shaking hands with Trump. There's three hands with the picture. And he ran him against me because he didn't want an outsider perturbing their insider boys game. Go ahead, Bradley, you had a question. So one of the main things that we are facing in communities, especially in the inner city is gentrification. So my question is, as you are running for Senate, how do you feel like the community could best come together to combat that? Uh, what, what, the infrastructure? Come, come back what, Bradley? Say that again. Oh, I said, basically, how can we learn from you in terms of how we can best go about combating gentrification and infrastructure within our communities in the inner city? Yes, that's a good question. So I think the first thing is we need to understand that if you look at what is infrastructure, right? Infrastructure from an engineering system standpoint is the plumbing, right? If you have a house, you build a foundation, then you put the pump plumbing and the electrical stuff, right? That's what you need for the house. And then, so if I'm building a house, first I build a solid foundation, then I bring the electricians and the plumbers in, great plumbing, great, you know, electrical work, right? Great, you know, infrastructure. And then I finally build the walls and I do all the interior design, right? If you don't have foundation and that plumbing and the electricity, your house is going to fall apart. And that's what keeps you sustained for a long period of time. If you look at this country in the 19, early 1900s was when there was a workers movement in this country, everyday working people, black and white. If you look at Times Square pictures, which have been deleted out of history, you'll see black and white people arm in arm in Times Square. This is the 1900s, fighting for workers' rights. And from those movements of the 1900s, the elites in this country, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who's a complete racist, by the way, he's projected as though he was a nice guy. And by the way, he was a very close friend of the Kennedys. 
Joe Kennedy was made the first chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And Joe Kennedy was the one who made massive amounts of money by shorting the stock market during the depression. When the stock market fell, he was making a lot of money, okay? But during that period in the United States was a huge workers' movement in the early 1900s. Blacks and whites were united, fighting for basic rights, infrastructure. And out of those workers' movements, they, they scared the shit out of the establishment. And what they delivered as a result out of that was they were forced to give people nutrition, okay? Forced to give people sanitation, forced to give people highways, roads, etc. And that was why infectious diseases went down in the early 1900s. Infrastructure. They didn't give it to us. Franklin Delano Rosa, a gun was put into his head by this growing workers' movement. People need to understand what occurred during the 1900s to the 1940s. And then the elites who did that were so pissed off by working people that in the 1950s, they branded all those people as communists. Okay? They did the McCarthy era thing. Everyone who wanted to bring workers together was a communist. And they went after them. So since the 1950s, the elites in this country have been going after working people and wanting to divide people by race because they don't want bottoms up movements. So they've divided people by race. And as a part of that, in the 1960s, when particularly this inner cities in this country were starting to rise up, predominantly by the fact there was so much suppression, people started rising up. Long before Martin Luther King ever showed up on the scene, there were everyday black people and white people who were rising up in this country, the anti-war movement. And in response to that, the elites, again, like the Kennedys, Bobby Kennedy, who was bugging Martin Luther King's phone, who was bugging Malcolm X's phone. They said, wow, we need to do something about this. So Malcolm was clean. Martin Luther King was not so clean, okay? They said, we'll use this guy because we can exploit him because we got stuff on him. They projected him. And what they did, Bradley, was they didn't ever want to really address the bottom infrastructure issues, which was better schools, you know, the plumbing and the electricity, the roads, right? Infrastructure programs. So they did cosmetic things. It's like they did the interior design of the building, okay? Long before they wanted to do the plumbing. And the interior design was, okay, let's not use the N-word, okay? Let's get some black faces in high places. We can manipulate them. That's what came out of the civil rights movement. They built statues for Martin Luther King. I have a dream speech being played every day. Malcolm X was ripped out of the history books and the movement of everyday black people. So what we have today is that same legacy. We have that same legacy of not addressing the infrastructure issues. So when you take a guy like Charlie Baker and when you take a guy like Marty Walsh, what have they done to Massachusetts? Well, let's look at the results. Massachusetts has got an F minus minus in infrastructure the third worst infrastructure in the United States. Just, just think about that for a second. You don't hear black politicians talking about this, the Uncle Toms. You hear them, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, Black Lives Matter for who? For the elites who want to use black lives to say Black Lives Matter. I mean, I was just driving through one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in Cambridge. All these white people putting up Black Lives Matter who are the liberal elites. They're putting that up. Like, you know, during the Old Testament, right, they put the red blood so the angel of death would pass by. Oh, yeah, don't touch us. 
They don't give a damn about black people's lives, and for that matter, poor white people's lives. We're, we, the, these two racists, Charlie Baker, a Republican, Marty Walsh, what did they deliver? They delivered the worst infrastructure in the United States. And if you look at the, the survey of the Institute for Public Integrity, Massachusetts is a 10th highest rated corrupt, corrupt state in Massachusetts. D plus in corruption, F minus minus in infrastructure. And year over year, we have black people, Uncle Toms and Aunt Jemima's out there like who, who did this, okay? This is what they do. They get people riled up to do this kind of nonsense, okay? This. This is what they do for their liberal elite masters. Get people riled up to talk about racism. When they don't want to talk about real racism is what I talked about. I talked about if we're going to solve racism, we need to address the real racists. And what is real racism? So, so what is real racism? I know, Bradley, you wanted me to do this in a fifth grade level, so I'm going to do that, okay? Now, at that free speech rally, you know what I ended my rally talking about? I ended with love, 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 that we need to bring people together. And the real enemies are people like the Clintons, people like the Kennedys, people who talk about fighting racism. When they're the biggest racist, they thrive off racism. Barack Obama, racist. He was president for eight years. What did he do? He gave banks the biggest bailouts. Think about it. He gave banks the biggest bailouts. That's what he did, right? You need to unmute your mic, Bradley. I'm listening. Okay. So this, so, so the Boston Free Speech Rally is an exemplification of how insidious they can take good activists. And by the way, the elites look for activists like you. They look for activists like Barbara. They said, okay, we've got to find those people who talk, but we'll let them talk all sorts of stuff. But then we're going to contain them. And that's why when you end up with something like this, okay, that's when you end up with this. Because what occurred at that rally was we talked about real racism. And then um, only one reporter in Boston got it right. Jeff Jacoby said a free speech rally minus free speech. And look what he wrote. He goes, if one line captured the essence of Saturday's Boston Common Rally and the counter-protest, it was a quote halfway through Mark R. Arsenault's page one story. Someone said, excuse me, one man in the counter-protest innocently asked the Globe reporter, where are the white supremacists? That was a day in a nutshell. Participants in the Boston Free Speech Rally have been demonized as a troop of neo-Nazis prepared to reprise the horror that had erupted in Charlottesville. They turned out to be a couple of dozen courteous people linked by little more than a commitment to surprise free speech. And it went on to say this. Indeed, nothing about the tiny rally seemed to be any way connected with bigotry or hatred. One of the speakers was Shivaya Duray, an immigrant from India, who's seeking the Republican nomination next year's U.S. Senate race. This was two years ago when I ran. As Ayadurai spoke, his supporters held signs proclaiming Black Lives Do Matter. But he and others who gathered at the Parkman Van Center had never stood a chance of competing with the rumor that neo-Nazis were coming to Boston. That toxic claim was irresponsibly fueled by Mayor Marty Walsh, who denounced a planned rally. Boston does not want you here. Even though organizers were at pains to stress that they had no connection to Charlottesville's racial agenda and intended to focus on the Boston free speech. Now, one of the things, Bradley, 
I don't think I mentioned to you the night before that when we knew they were doing this, we had to make a decision. Oh, my God, they're calling us Nazi. Should we go or not? We actually held a vigil, a candlelight vigil. About 100 people showed up in my building in Cambridge for the people in Charlottesville. And we invited the media to come. None of them came. They wanted, they do not want real racism being discussed. They want black leaders, the misleaders, the Aunt Jemima's to mislead black people, corral them into the Democratic Party or the liberal wing of the Republican Party. And they want racism. They want racism, man. So what is real racism? Great question. Let's talk about it. Great question. We're now to everyone listening out there, we're gonna talk about what is real racism. That is the most Bradley you've asked the most brilliant question. What is real racism? Because as I said, the Republican establishment in Massachusetts, for example, the Massachusetts GOP, when I bring it up, oh, there is no racism, Shiva, you're just saying there's racism. That's what the old those are the real racists. So they don't want to talk about it. So they give the vacuum to the Democratic Party, like Elizabeth Warren, like Marty Walsh, to say racism is, oh, don't use the N-word and support affirmative action. If you do those two checkoff boxes, you're not a racist. But they're not talking about the real racism. So let's talk about what is real racism. Let me go back to the slides here. So what is real racism? All right? So what is real racism? Well, that we saw occurring, right? So let's talk about that. Because that's what's fueled the modern thing. If you go to the if you go to the Gallup poll, by the way, this is uh, let me bring this up. This is every week I watch a Gallup poll. Uh, every month they do an analysis of the top things that Americans care about. These are the economic issues, and these are the non-economic issues. Okay, and what you'll see here is racism is always number. Well, coronavirus temporarily has been number one. Second was government, but. The, the second issue has always been racism, okay? So what is racism? By the way, to give you an idea, um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, um, uh, in the interest of keeping this, I, I wanted to do a little talk on the coronavirus. We'll come back to this, okay? In fact, let me talk about this, okay? If you remember, Bradley, before the coronavirus, right, there was a whole discussion of, of uh, there was a whole discussion in the world, all over the world, you may remember this, right? I don't know if you remember this, but what was going on all across the world before the coronavirus? And the media does not want us to talk about this. The media does not want us to talk about BC, not before Christ, but before Corona. Look what was going on all over the world. You know what these places are? These are all the places literally months before the coronavirus, three months before protests. This is in Algeria. Massive protests taking place against um, the complete corruption in Algeria, Bolivia, protests against uh, Morales' government, okay? Chile, massive protests, 22 people killed. Colombia, 250,000 people protesting. In Czech Republic, 200,000 people protesting. Ecuador, people protesting. These are protests in France. You remember this? Millions of people on the street against the economics of France taking place. Haiti, Massive protests against corruption. Hong Kong, 2 million people were protesting. Remember all those people in Hong Kong? Indonesia, massive protests. Iran, Iraq, over 20 countries were protesting all over the world before Corona. 
And what did we find out? Well, let's go to the economics. This is the economic report by the board of the Federal Reserve. Let me share this with you. 40% of Americans don't have $400 in the bank. 40% of Americans for savings. White and black. Look at this. 70% uh, of Americans don't have 1000 bucks in the bank. Nearly 70% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. That means they can barely survive. Get this. And now, after coronavirus, what did you see? Okay. As I said, the racism, the right wing says racism doesn't exist. The left wing says don't use the N-word and support affirmative action. If you do these two things, you're fine. What do we really have going on? Well, busing ended 20 years ago, but we have massive segregation. So what is racism? If you look at this little, nice little sort of picture here, racism is putting all of us into little boxes, okay? And if you step out of your box, we're gonna lynch you. Now, you could be a black person in Boston, you're supposed to remain in your box. You could be a white person. Let me give you some examples. I mean, simple things. Blondes are dumb, right? This is racism. If you're blonde, all those blonde jokes. If you're black, you must like watermelons and you must look like this, right? Al Jolson. Well, if you're Chinese, you must all, you must look like this, we make fun of you, right? And you must all know Kung Fu, right? If you are white, you must be a redneck and you surely must be a Klansman, all right? And if you're Indian, you must be running a 7-Eleven and or you must be knowing yoga okay you must shake your head and meditate left to right these are put forward by the elites and if you're a nerd you must if or if you're smart if you're intelligent if you if you're an inventor you must look like this you follow what i'm saying this is a real racism they have characterized people into these bins and this idiot on the right side who has really no idea of science is projected as a science guy he's a complete fool all right. By the way, he promotes GMOs. He promotes vaccines. So I want to just walk people through these images. This is the real racism, putting people into these nice little boxes. Now, for me, Bradley, to everyone listening, to make it very simple, this is very personal to me because I have a deep insight into this because when I stepped out of my box, I was lynched. So we need to understand racism is putting people in nice little boxes. By the way, as I shared with you, when I came to MIT in 1981, you know how many black student groups there were at MIT? At least seven of them. There was a black students union. There was a Caribbean students union. There was the African students union. There was a Nigerian students union. There was a Haitian students club. You see what I'm saying? And all of them thought they were better than the others. Okay. And think about that. Why is it at a university? They're funding all these little, little clubs. Why is that? And the Caribbean students thought they were smarter than the blacks. The black students felt the Caribbeans were hoity-toity. They didn't understand them, right? All these divisions, putting people in nice little boxes. So for me, it's very personal because I came from racism on steroids. I grew up in an India which had a caste system, which was based on your birth, if you were born into this thing, you must be a, uh, you must, you must be a coconut picker, right? My cast was you're supposed to pick coconuts the rest of your life. 
The fact that my parents even came to India was quite extraordinary. I grew up in working class neighborhoods, as I mentioned in New Jersey, among all different kinds of people. When I came to MIT, I had a, long before I came to MIT, I had already invented the first email system. I didn't need to go to MIT. I didn't need the, I didn't need the anointment of MIT to say I was intelligent. But it took me a while to figure this out. But when I came to MIT is where I really noticed the real racism. Yeah, people called me Smokey when I was growing up in New Jersey or the N-word, right? I didn't consider that racism, man. I consider that ignorance. But let me explain to you the real racism. And I think this example I'm going to share will hopefully enlighten people. So the real racism is here. When I So just think about these symbols. I just want people to hold in their mind these symbols, okay, of what we're taught, okay? This is what we're projected from the time you're born. You get all these little, little subtle cues, all right? So if you meet a white folk and he speaks from the South, he must be a clan and so on, okay? And this is what you need to be to be intelligent. If you look like that, you must be a smart guy. So, well, let me go back to my story. When I was a 14-year-old kid growing up in Newark, New Jersey, predominantly 99% African-Americans, by the time I was ninth grade, I'd finished calculus. I started working full-time as a, at a medical school. As a scientist, as a 14-year-old, I was given a job as a, as a full-time scientist. Why? Because I worked my butt off the year before I'd gone to New York University, and I learned computer science. And when I came to Newark, I worked in the medical school there. I was given a job. It was to convert the old-fashioned inter-office mail system. People of your age may not know this, Bradley, but in offices in those days, the way people communicated was they had the thing called the inter-office mail system. They had the phone. We didn't have internet, right? We didn't have email. You had the phone. So if you wanted to talk to another person, you called them on the landline phone. You could do some conference calling, but you had another very powerful system in the thousands of offices in the hospital I worked in. There was a secretary. Every office had a secretary. And on her desktop was this thing called the inner office mail system. Behind her were these things called folders where she filed stuff, the inbox, the outbox, paper clips. She had a thing called a typewriter. She would write this thing called a memo, okay? The memo was how people communicated. So if I was going to hire you for a job, Bradley, I would write a memo. This was the infrastructure. I would write to my boss, Bill, from Shiva, subject, hiring Bradley. I would say, hey, you know, Bradley's a great candidate. Here, I would attach your resume, and I would CC people, carbon copy, where I would take the letter, and I would literally put a carbon paper and type two copies of your letter. You following me? So if I had to do 10 carbon copies, it would take me an hour or sometimes a day. And then I would put it in this envelope and I would send it across these tubes. This was the inner office mail system. It was how we collaborated long before Facebook or social media. As a 14-year-old kid, before I came to MIT in Newark, New Jersey, I was asked to convert that entire system, inbox, outbox, folders, trash can, CC, BCC, following me? To the electronic version. I wrote 50,000 lines of code in Newark, New Jersey as a 14-year-old kid, capturing all those features. No one had done that. And I called that system email. There's the code that's in the Smithsonian. I created the term email as a 14-year-old in Newark. Why did I call it email? It was not an obvious term because the operating system only allowed five characters. There's a picture of me with my teachers in Newark. And then 
When I came to MIT, it was on the front page and the president of MIT said, you know, it's too bad. You can't copyright software. I mean, you can't protect it. You can't patent it, but Shiva, you should copyright it. The new law was passed in 1980. Bill Gates weren't my parents, right? I didn't have lawyers. I had to write away by myself as a 17 year old. And on August 30th, 1982, I was awarded the first copyright for email, recognizing me as the inventor of email. So let me get this straight, Bradley. I wrote all the code, I named it email, and I have the copyright before I came to MIT. Where was it invented? In the, in the center of Newark, New Jersey, all black neighborhood. And I was given an opportunity by white folks who believed in me, they weren't racist. They said, wow, this guy's a smart kid, 30, 50, 60 years older. I used to go in with my briefcase, I used to work until two in the morning. Wasn't done at MIT, okay? Now, I did that before I came to MIT. I never spoke about it. It was in the front page of MIT in 81. So, so the box there, let me talk about the box. The box there was, this was done in Newark, 14-year-old, dark-skinned Indian kid in a working-class black neighborhood. Get it? I go off to MIT. The elite of the elite institutions, right? the center of, the, of technology of the world. I do many other things at MIT. I was on the front page of MIT when I first came, front page uh, for inventing Echo Mail, front page when I w won my Fulbright scholarship. Never spoke about email, I was very humble. However, something interesting happened. So what happens in 19, sorry, in 2011, my dear mom is dying of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis, remember, 2011, I'm teaching a course at MIT. I'm running my seventh company. I've created six, seven companies in Cambridge, created thousands of jobs, have four degrees from MIT, Fulbright scholar. I don't need any publicity. My mom is dying of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis. And in a suitcase three months before she dies, she had saved all those artifacts documenting my inventing email in Newark, okay? And in this, and there's my beautiful mom, and there's that suitcase. And in it, she had captured all the code, all the copyright, all my publicity from 1970s. And the only reporter who went through, this was a sincere reporter at Time Magazine called Doug Ameth, the senior technology editor, Bradley. He went through all of it meticulously. And he wrote an article on November 11, 2011, nearly 33 years later, saying the man who invented email. No controversy. Then it went into the Smithsonian. Now, what was interesting was an African-American reporter wrote this, Emmy Kalawale. I went to the Smithsonian. They had a big, beautiful ceremony. I gave all my materials. My mom had just passed away in January. This was in February. And it was a great honor. And a black African-American reporter in the Washington Post wrote this article. Okay? Now, you would think everyone should be excited. Wow. This is the American dream. Lower caste, Indian guy, Newark, New Jersey. Awesome. What happens? What happens? Let me show you what happens. This is a real racism. Well, this newspaper, Gizmodo calls me an imposter, call me an asshole, a loon. And look at this. It says, what a fucking shameless cretin. He should be hanged by his curry stained fingernails. I want everyone to look at that. 
And that was from the liberal white elite. Because during those 33 years, Bradley, which I wasn't out there promoting like Bill Gates, people had written the narrative that a white guy who looked like a nerd, forget even white, and who was part of one of the biggest military companies, military industrial complex that invented email. You see? So what do you see here? So you see all this stuff. And behind that was this group of liberal elite historians who had already written the history of email. And when my stuff went into the Smithsonian, it was a new skull was found in Africa. Okay? And behind this historian group who was calling me a fraud, a liar, how dare I say I invented email, who, who, were, who were they behind? This organization called Raytheon, a $37 billion defense company, who had built their entire brand with the at logo with this nerd looking guy who didn't invent email. All he did was use the at symbol, okay, to, to create a methodology for transferring text messages between computers, not inbox, outbox folders. They had elevated him to the inventor of email. And look at him, he looks like a nerd, okay? The glasses, and, and they promoted him. He looked like the nerd, and Raytheon's $37 billion brand was based on this nerd. So, now, when this went in, luckily, you know, when this was all happening, Bradley, this is one of the insidious parts of racism. And many people who, if you're a woman, if you've been raped, if you're someone who's been attacked, when someone starts attacking you, typically, it's easy for me when I was at MIT to stand up for black folks or women to fight, but it was a hard thing for us to stand up for ourselves. So here was all this press saying I'm an imposter or fraud going globally. And in the middle of that, what you find that happens is that you start questioning yourself. Wow, maybe I didn't invent email. Maybe I'm a liar. And I've talked to women who've been raped. They think, oh my God, maybe I did something wrong. And people who are oppressed people say, well, maybe I'm not smart enough. And this is how the oppressor works. It's a mind game. They make you feel, oh, and I, I've seen within the black community, people say, oh, the blacks who are here are dumb. I've seen this among black Caribbeans who say that. And the blacks say, oh, the Caribbeans think they're more elitist. They split people. They put these narratives out. And what they do is they want to diminish you mentally. It's a mental game. So I said, oh, my God, maybe I didn't invent email. But fortunately, I went and spent, I went back and reviewed every article written before 1978. And lo and behold, I believe there's a God. Look what we find. We find the guy, the cracker, who I want to call him because his name is David Cracker, Crocker. Look at his name, David Crocker. He was a guy who was attacking me in the post saying, oh, nice boy, almost racist, nice boy. He did something when he was 14, but he didn't invent you know, it was a collaboration. But look what he had written December 1977. This Crocker forgot he wrote this. It says, at this time, no attempt is being made to emulate the full-scale interorganizational mail system, which is inbox, outbox, folders, everything. It is almost impossible to build a system. You see what I'm getting at? These guys thought it was impossible, Bradley, to do what I did. And that article was written six months before I started creating email as a 14-year-old kid. All right? So these are the facts. So finally, Noam Chomsky is one of the most revered intellectuals, left intellectual. He looked at the facts and he said, look, email was created by a 14-year-old kid in Newark. Now, 
let's go to the next level, people listening carefully. So what you find is what really pissed off these people was not the facts. It's so clear I invented email, called it email, wrote the facts, et cetera. Go ahead, Bradley. So I guess my next question is like, well, all of the accomplishments that you've made in the past, now we're in the present, looking towards the future, what is it exactly that you plan to do as Senate to get voters to understand why you're the best candidate to vote for? Well, one of the things that people need to understand is we need to get into the facts of the system of the aristocracy of elites who divide us, Bradley. You see, we have headed back into how it was in 1776, in my view. We have had the aristocracy, people who think they're better than us, black and white, and the rest of us, the peasants. And this has been organized. And the people, before it was just white people. Now it's blacks and whites. You know, we have the Obamas, the Oprah Winfrey's, the, uh, uh, you know, the Kennedys, the Clintons, the Romneys, the Marty Walshes, the Charlie Bakers, the elites. One rule for them and another rule for us. That So my winning a Senate seat is you winning it because rarely do they want a real bottoms-up movement. So this election in Massachusetts, it's, it's not just Shiva for Senate. It's about you and I winning because a guy like me who came from nothing, who's gone through the journey, a guy like me, Bradley, is not supposed to, to expose them. I'm supposed to be fall in line. You see what I'm saying? I'm supposed to be one of them. I'm supposed to be a good Indian. You follow what I'm saying? I should have already sold out my people. So the goal of running for the Senate seat is to use that platform to talk truth, freedom, and health, to bring policies that fundamentally go to the root of what really can cause systemic change. And one of those clear things is to show to people that if you really want to bring people together and solve major problems like infrastructure, we have to recognize a real problem. The real problem is that aristocracy and they're not just, you know, the people who you think are the real, you know, the KKK. That's easy, man. That's really easy. The protests that you went to where you thought you were fighting the KKK, that's how they used you a good sincere activist. You know who the real racists were? They were Marty Walsh and Charlie Baker. They were the real racists. And so if you look at this next part of it, it'll become clear what I want to do as a senator is that, have you ever heard of a guy called Walter Isaacson? Or the Aspen Institute? Okay, the Aspen Institute is an institute. It's in Aspen. All the liberal elite belong to it. It's like they're the ones who talk about diversity and inclusivity and fighting for black folk, okay? Well, that institute, the head of it used to be a guy called Walter Isaacson. Walter Isaacson also writes books. He controls history. He wrote the book on Bill, on, um, on uh, Steve Jobs, right? And in the middle of this email controversy, they pull out Walter Isaacson, who claims he supports blacks and blah, 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 blah. Guess what he writes? He writes a book in the middle. Remember, this controversy started in 2000. It was a fictitious controversy. And Walter Isaacson writes a book called Innovators of the Digital Revolution. And I want to show you the, the scenes from this book. Now, remember, Bradley, would you not say email is a part of the digital revolution? 
you know what I'm saying? As a technology, email is, unmute yourself. Isn't email a part of the digital revolution? Bradley, you need to unmute yourself. I'm listening to you. I mean, electronic mail technology is part of the digital revolution, right? The internet, et cetera. So this guy, Isaacson's writing a book about the digital revolution. And let me show you what he shares here. This is a book that he shares. And he's talking about all the, this is in the middle of this whole email. Now tell me who he's showing are the innovators of the digital revolution, okay? Who's that, Steve Jobs? This is a guy called Shockley. He's the one who discovered or created the transistor. Big time Nazi, by the way, okay? These are all the pictures he has of, of people who contributed to the digital revolution. You see a problem with this book? And he ends this book by thanking this guy. You know who this guy is? This guy's a guy who was a president of MIT who created a company called Raytheon, which is the same company, okay? Which, which, which had built his entire false brand on that they invented email. Now, in 1940 was when this guy, well, uh, this guy, Vannevar Bush, left MIT to start Raytheon when lots of public funding, billions of dollars started going to the military. And this guy ends this book by saying that the real innovators are these people, right? Only white folks, even white women. There's no darkies in here at all, okay? And he, and he ends by talking about the real source of all great innovation. He says it's the military, academia, and industry, big industry. He calls it the military industrial academic complex. And you see, when I was at MIT, I was part of that triangle. You see, I was being a good Indian, Bradley, when I was at MIT getting all my four degrees, being part of that, right? Or if you're a black person, and you do all the right things, like Barack Obama, you get to be the head of the Harvard Law Review, you get to become president. But this narrative for them, that picture of that 14-year-old kid doesn't fit in that triangle. Because this kid invented email before he came to MIT. You, you see what I'm saying here? Yep. So the, the in, in, important thing that we need to understand at this time is that racism can rip apart this country. And the real racists are these people who create these false narratives because they want to protect power, military, industrial, academic complex. That's the deep state. And they want to confine who, who is the one, whoever's making that noise, I wish they'd stop. There's a horrible noise. Um, they want to confine that to a set of people who they are anointing, you see? They want to be able to anoint who's an inventor and who isn't. Now, if you play by their rules, you'll be made part of them. But if you step out of line, which is what I was doing, Bradley, I was stepping out of line by, they wanted me to say, okay, Massa, I didn't invent email. That's what they wanted. So because I wasn't willing to do that, I became a bad Indian. Okay? That's racism. 
because I said, look, I did, MIT was invented before I came to MIT. I mean, email. That's what I'm talking about. They want to put people into boxes. If you go to MIT, you fall in line, then you do this, then you do this. But you're not supposed to fall out of line. So I want people to elevate their understanding to the depth of racism. Racism, and I want to read you something that my mentor, Dr. Michelson, wrote Okay, in this treatise. He said, the invention of email in Newark, New Jersey, reveals fundamental truths about the nature of innovation exposes the histories and propaganda of the golden triangle of the military-industrial complex, whose multi-trillion dollar brand advertises itself as a source of all revolutionary innovations. Now, let me go to this part. This is what the real issue here is, right? The real issue is when the Smithsonian requested and obtained artifacts documenting email's origin in Newark on February 16th, when Ayadure accepted this great American honor, he unwittingly pitted himself against their brand. The cabal unleashed disinformation claiming email was created before 78. When these claims were debunked and Ayadure continued sharing the facts, this is the important point. The attacks escalated to a public uh, lynching, revealing an insidious side of racism. This is a real racism, which exalts persons of color when needed and expels and annihilates them when they challenge false histories and propaganda. That's the real racism I'm talking about. By the way, we sued Gawker. We won a million dollar settlement. And if you go to Wikipedia right now, they've locked my page. And they don't let anyone update their history. Wikipedia is racist. Wikipedia, a bunch of liberal whites run it. Liberal blacks run it, part of it. But Wikipedia is a racist source. It's history. They want to change history. They want to... Barack Obama is allowed into their things. He's allowed to get his nice, beautiful home, Martha's Vineyard. He talks a bunch of bullshit about global warming, but he buys a beautiful mansion on the beach. Oprah Winfrey. All right. These people are the black bourgeois that got created after the civil rights movement. When the civil rights movement ended, it didn't do anything for ordinary blacks. It created a little strata of black bourgeois. And those strata work with the white bourgeois, with the aristocracy. What we have today in America is we fundamentally have an aristocracy, a multiracial liberal aristocracy. And they are racist towards all people. And they use racism. They used racism against you when 40,000 people showed up against the real people who were talking about racism. You follow what I'm saying? So, so yeah, I feel you, I feel you. So I guess my next question is, what is the best way for individuals within our generation who are hungry and who want to make a difference? To Bradley, we're losing your voice. It. Something's wrong with your audio. Can you speak a little clearer? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Some, yeah. Go ahead. I say, what is the best way for individuals in my generation, young voters, 18 to 25 to 30, to partake in a movement or an initiative that will not only combat racism, but will make our paradigm within America a lot better, better to bear, a lot better to live with it? Right. So let me just repeat your question because your voice is going in and out. So, so. Bradley's saying, what is, um, what is a real thing that needs to be done to fight racism, right? Well, the first thing, Bradley, we need to understand what I've shared. What is racism? Racism is putting people in boxes. I hope that's clear. And when they step out of that box, you beat the hell out of them. 
okay? So if you're a black person and you vote Democrat, that's beautiful. That's why Joe Biden said, if you vote for Trump, you ain't black. Forget if you like Trump or not. But putting you in a box and saying black people are supposed to vote Democrat. Indians are supposed to shake their head left to right, sit in the yoga position and, you know, shut the hell up, never fight for their rights, right? They're supposed to be good Gandhis, okay? That's racism. White people who are from the South also must hate black people. They must be Klansmen. That's racism. So I want people to understand that the elites want us to stay in our boxes so they can control us. Is that clear? They want... They want to be able to make a few phone calls to their Aunt Jemima's and Uncle Tom's and say, bunch of Nazis are coming into town in Boston. 40,000 people show up. That's racism. Okay? So people need to get in their head that if you're willing to be used, then you're part of racism. Because what occurred in Boston was racist. Racist meaning Marty Walsh and Charlie Baker were the racists. And if you, so once you understand that, we need to go to the economics. Let's go to the economics. And just let's look at the modern history. What happened after the coronavirus? What happened after the coronavirus? Remember, before coronavirus, BC, millions of people, black and white, brown and yellow, were protesting all over the world against the elites because they have created a fake economy to destroy infrastructure in all cities all over the world, right? Including Massachusetts. Well, after coronavirus, within the two months, look what happened. These are the facts. Look at this. Look at this. The net worth of America's 600 billionaires has increased by more than $400 billion in two months. These freaking 600 people, the liberal elite, made... 400 billion in two months. While 38 million people, black and white, were out of jobs, these guys increased their net worth. Billionaires gain as workers feel the pandemic. Look at this. Top five U.S. billionaires, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett, and Larry Ellison saw their wealth grow by 75 billion or 19%. 19%. Okay? Bezos and Zuckerberg grew nearly 60 billion in, in, in 60 days. Look at this. This is the one, two, three, four, five. Five people, their net worth grew from 392 billion in March 18th when coronavirus started it, to May 19th by $75 billion. This is why pe people are out there, Black Lives Matter, supporting the Democratic Party, burning down our things, while these guys made out like bandits. $75 billion they made. And look at this. These are the, the people who look, look at each Steve Ballmer, Microsoft. He grew by 12 billion. Okay. Elon Musk putting spaceships up. I don't know what the hell he's doing. We, the same thing he did. We already did 60 years ago, but he's promoted as some genius. 11 billion. Michael Dell. Look, look, these people made money off the backs of American working people. Then what the elites did was they gave a $6 trillion stimulus. They printed money. And where did that money go? Well, a little bit of it went to us, but most of it went into the stock market. Look, this is a small bit of it went to us, about $380 trillion of that $2 trillion. A small bit of it, $380 million, okay? Billion, I'm sorry. The rest of it went to the state governments, 
and then four trillion is going into the stock market. The stock market is going up like this, guys. They printed money. We 600 billionaires increased their wealth by 70 billion. I'm sorry, 500 billion. And we're here burning down our things. Think about this. We got to use our brains. There were protests going all over the world against the aristocracy of the world. They created coronavirus. Now they have blacks and white fighting. Beautiful for them. They're making money. We're out of jobs. And I'm sharing with you the facts. Racism is a tool of the elites. So they printed $4 trillion, Bradley, $4 trillion. Sorry, $6 trillion just got printed. $380 billion went to some of us where they gave us 1000 bucks, 1200 bucks. Nothing. Most of it went to prop up the stock. So the stock market's going like this while jobs are going like that. Okay, and then they got us burning our own buildings. Think about it. It's beautiful for them because they got a bunch of idiots running around talking fake racism. And look at this. They're using that money to buy junk bonds. Bonds, companies, companies that aren't even worth anything who are already in debt. Look at this. During the 2008 financial crisis, the federal government agreed to bail out too big to fail companies. Who did that? Barack Obama. In the current economic crisis, the government has decided to essentially bail out companies of debatable credit, creditworthiness. They're putting a trillion dollars to bail out companies. For example, look at this company. A small Canadian oil company with 450 employees has negative earnings. We're putting our money to bail them out. And then here's another company, a Texas oil company. It has 207 uh, employees and had a negative growth rate. We're going and bailing them out. So many jobs may vanish forever. Now look at this. This is a picture in Vermont, all white Vermont, okay? What you see is food lines have tripled of white folks waiting in line to get food. And look at this, same thing in Africa. What's the difference here? They're in cars, these people are standing in line. This is a real racism. Now, let's talk about Boston, since you wanted to talk... The average net worth of a black person in Boston is $8, $8. And that's, that's by the Federal Reserve. That, what is the net worth? That means, Bradley, if you take your balance sheet, what's a balance sheet? You take all your assets, everything you own. You take, maybe you own a pillow, maybe you own a, a bed, you own a car, you own a house. You take all of that, that's called your assets. Then you take your liabilities all the things you owe, loans that you owe other people, debt. If you subtract assets minus liabilities, that's your net worth. Well, the net worth of a black person in Boston is $8. The Boston brought to you by John Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, Patrick Kennedy, Joe Kennedy. The Kennedys are the biggest racists. The guy I'm running against, Joe Kennedy, which a lot of people in Brockton a lot of blacks and Haitians and Caribbeans are sucked into the Democratic Party. Those people, the Kennedys, are the biggest racists because they use black people, take pictures with them, like I saw Joe Kennedy do at a homeless shelter. Yep. You got to keep yourself. I yep. understand that. My, my community, can you hear me? Yeah, it's, it's crackling, though. Go ahead. Yeah, it's crackling on my side for you, too. I don't understand why. Go ahead. I don't think you would say it like that. Um, so I get it. Like in my community, we're undoubtedly loyal to the Democratic Party 
because they give off the illusion that they are willing to add on inclusion into their systematic changes, when in reality, it's all a facade. Now, the thing is, we need to find solutions to educate the masses upon who to vote for, why to vote for them, and what's going to happen. See, my community, we usually vote off of what a candidate makes us feel. We vote for the character as opposed to the policies because our populace isn't educated on what policies are, how they affect them. And majority of the time, we don't vote for local politics. We'll vote for the president. So would you be open to investing in throwing conferences and summits so that we can educate the population from 18 to 40, 18 to 50, so that they can understand what politics means and how to create the politics that is beneficial to their immediate community. Yeah, I think that's what needs to be done. So Bradley, to those who, Bradley's saying, am I open to educating the people between 18 to 50? Bradley, that's what needs to be done. And I think I have a unique perspective. Look, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you know this, if you look at India, you know, the country of India, you know who the first real slaves were that came to the Americas? It was my people. They were brought here as indentured servants, as coolies to the West Indies. Brought on ships, they had to pay off their bondage. The first set of people, if you go look at it in the West Indies, they were the coolies from India. Long before, in fact, black folks. And then the black folks came. And that was from the caste system. So I have a unique perspective on racism from the Indian racism and then the racism I've experienced here in Massachusetts. And the real racism is that aristocracy. So we need to educate people because since the reason, the reason black folks have been in bondage is because of black misleaders. Okay. Because they, their, their leaders have been executed, shot the real leaders by other blacks who have been used by the liberal elite. And that is what happened at the Boston Free Speech Rally. That's what's happening right now with this Black Lives Matter movement. Black lives do matter. But where are they pointing their anger? They're not pointing their anger at a place like Harvard University. If you want to end racism, why aren't we removing every brick off of Harvard? Every red brick of Harvard is filled with the blood of poor whites, or blacks, and Harvard's entire institution was built on racism. You know, Harvard in the 1600s was going to go out of business. Go read their history. And you know what they did? They said, oh, we're going to go help Indians. We're going to create an Indian college. They convinced people to give them money. They were going to go bankrupt, man. The institution was going to fail. So they said, oh, we're going to educate a couple of hundred Indians, Native Americans. They took money. They embezzled that money. They built one little building. They used all the money to bring back Harvard. And all the liberal white elites, black elites like Barack Obama go to Harvard. And Harvard is a center of racism. The real racism I'm talking about. They tell people you can't hope. Yep. So one thing I do know for sure is that our generation had many leaders who are willing to Take on Bradley, can you take your phone and just pick it up for a second and just talk into it? Are you talking into your phone? Is that your phone? Can you hear me? 
Yeah, it's really crackling. I'm not sure what's going on. Can you talk into it? Well, I'm not necessarily sure as to why, but I think you know why. Um, regardless, though, I don't think the viewers. Yeah, I don't think the viewers are hearing it. But yeah, bro, what I was saying is that the generation of my generation, we have a lot of leaders and influence who want to stand up and who are standing up. We didn't know that we was being bamboozled. We we thought that us standing up for the Black Lives Matter movement and being there and letting our voice be known and our energy be known was being a part of the change that we wanted to see. But in reality, we don't have enough individuals from the older generations who are just as passionate to come back and guide our young energy to formulate it in a way where we can work in unison to create a difference that America can actually change with it. See, I'm tired, personally. Doc, I'm tired. I'm tired of being oppressed. I'm tired of having to sit down and allow my fellow students, my counterparts to go into a school that never teach them anything about themselves, that never teach them about skills that can generate an income as opposed to just pushing everybody towards one lane, which is to just get a degree. I'm tired of this system constantly utilizing our taxpayer dollars to not put anything back within the infrastructure within our inner city communities, but you utilizing it as equality as opposed to equity. We're tired. And when it comes to politics, we've been let down so much that we tend not to vote like that. Now, now you're a candidate that many individuals, in my opinion, should vote for. Why? Because you tell the truth. But it's unfortunate that we come up in a society that teaches you to, to crucify the individual that tells you the truth about the system and yourself. Because the individual that exposes the system exposes you to your true nature. So, Doc, all I'm saying is that we need more individuals like you within your generation to come back and inspire us, to lead us and guide us. Because we are the leaders of tomorrow. We are the leaders of the future. But we need to be groomed to do it correctly so we don't make the same mistakes as our ancestors. Exactly. So we don't make the same mistakes as the past generations. Yeah, Brad, you, 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 look, look, what happened in 1960s, let me just comment, you, you, you made the best points here, right? And I hope everyone heard you. The point is, what I hear from you is that you're tired of this nonsense. Black people, for, for, not even black people, let's, let's just take oppressed people, okay? Because I'm going to share with you some data. Blacks, poor whites need real leadership. What has happened in the United States is when real revolutionary leaders came, who started connecting the dots. And if you look at the 1960s movement, in the early 60s, late 50s, the movement was rising up from the inner cities, bottoms up, okay? And when the establishment, and I, I need you and your, your generation to get this and people listening, the establishment, it's not the obvious establishment, forget the Klansmen, that's easy, but the Kennedys, and I want everyone to get this, the Kennedys are one of the most racist people. Bobby Kennedy, racist MFO, okay? He, they understood the dynamics because, see, they're the real chess masters. They didn't want to. Look, I got Malcolm X's biography right here, okay? I read this when I was, you know what age? 15 years old. Why did I read this? Well, I had a great history teacher. And my history teacher wouldn't give you an A even if you were scoring A's, he had a book list. And he said, you got to do an additional extra credit to give you an A. 
So I studied this book and it was almost like I was reading about me. Malcolm came from nothing, from bottoms up. He made his mistakes, but he wasn't no Martin Luther King growing up in a nice, you know, black bourgeois. You know, in those days, if you were in the preacher world, you were a bourgeois, you were a part of the black aristocracy. Malcolm was one of us. All right. So the movement was growing. And if you look at the 1960s, as the anti-war movement is going, or the, people were getting more and more evolved. People were saying, wait a minute, this is not just black and white. This is about all oppressed people. Malcolm X gave a very famous speech. He goes, I believe there will ultimately be a clash between the oppressed and those who do the oppressing, but I believe it will not be based on the color of the skin. Two weeks after that, he was shot because Malcolm had connected the dots that this wasn't just about color. This was about the oppressed and the oppressor. And they started executing all those black leaders who were moving away just from color. All right. And those people who are just talking color were allowed to live. All right. And that's why Malcolm X was taken out. Now, Martin Luther King, if you go and study it, it's a longer discussion. He was acceptable. They had a lot of shit on him. Drugs, women, right? He was easily to be exploited. Go read about him. Okay? Doug, Doug, Doug. I can't, Doug. So, I can't hear you. I'm going I'm to log out and then come back in if you add me. Add yeah, me. why don't you log out and come back in? Something's wrong. Log out and come back in. Let me, yep. We're going to have him join right after. Hold on. Jennifer, are you there? Jen? Let me kick him out and let me let him join back in. We'll wait. But anyway, everyone, as we're waiting, we're having a very, very interesting discussion on racism here. Um, let's see if people want to ask any questions here. Ghanaian was a racist. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. Bradley's coming back in. Okay. So while he's coming back, the point that we want to discuss here is that there is, there is a real racism and the reality is black and white folks, brown folks, red folks, we've been de denied that discussion and we've been denied that discussion by a multiracial liberal aristocracy. Um, is that Bradley? Bradley, you back? I'm back. I can hear you clearly now. Okay. Much better. Okay. So Bradley, I was just telling people what I was saying was, all people have been denied this discussion we're having. And my life has been spent on really trying to understand racism, man. It's one of the most important issues of humankind. And those in power separate us. And it always occurs before an election. In India, when I was a kid growing up, you would see politicians, Hindu politicians would go among Hindus and say, those Christians hate you. And Christian politicians would say, those Hindus hate you. And Muslim politicians would go, among, you know, so on. That's what goes on because racism is so emotional. You can use it. So what so I was how do we create unity? Huh? So how do we create unity? We're coming up in a generation that doesn't care about that stuff, man. Yeah, the way we create the way we create unity, Bradley, is to go down to understand there are people who profit from racism. Okay? 
they profit from division. And those people are these people that I'm sharing with you right here, okay? Bill Gates, Hillary Clinton, the Kennedys. Do you know there are people who build their lives on running anti-racist groups? Just like there are people who build their careers on, I'm gonna fight cancer. There's a foundation called the Susan Komen Foundation for Breast Cancer. We haven't solved breast cancer. She's made billions fighting breast cancer. How long have we fought racism and we still don't, people don't want to solve cancer. They keep wanting to get the funding because the day they solve cancer, there's no more money. You get what I'm saying? They want to perpetuate disease. The people who really want to solve cancer, who really want to solve racism are us, not the elites. So whenever you hear Barack Obama talking about racism, that's how his foundation's built. As long as racism exists, he gets money. We keep paying to him. But when racism ends, there's unity and these politicians are gone. Black and white. So let's let's go back to this, this point here. Okay, so what's happening here? If you look at this reality, look at this reality. How many black leaders have we had in Boston? How many? Byron, this guy, that guy, the Bay State News, right? All, you know, black faces here. All these preachers. All these preachers who talk about Jesus Christ, they're all sellouts. They never want to talk about the fact that Christ took that whip in the temple and he chased out those money lenders, right? These Uncle Toms who run these black churches are big Uncle Toms and Aunt Jemimas. They keep black people in bondage, okay? They do not want to talk about real racism. Why is it that after 60 years, the net worth of a black person with John Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, Joe Kennedy, all these freaks. We should stop voting for them. The net worth of an average black person right around where John Kerry lives is eight bucks. And the average net worth of a white person is this. Okay? $247,000. See that? Let me show this to you. This is what we're talking about. Okay? This is reality. Now, does this mean we should go attack white people? No, because this is what the elites, black and white, are doing to poor whites. Poor white Americans are getting poorer. This is what shows here. Look, the low-income household of a poor white person was 42. You know what it's now? 22. Look at the black households, 5K, 7K. So everyone's going on the plantation. Like I like to say, we're all niggas on the liberal plantation. All of us, and I want to use that word because these liberal white elite don't want us to use the N-word. Well, there is, as my black friend said, you can use N-I-G-G-A-H. We're all niggas on the multiracial liberal plantation. And we should use that word because they're telling us don't use that word because they don't want us to use that word so they can say racism is gone. But this is the real racism. White, black, Hispanic, we're all on the plantation. They don't want an Indian guy in Newark, New Jersey inventing email. Nope, if you're at MIT, that's great, and shut the hell up and be a good Indian. This is a real racism. And look at what's happening here. 1971, 80% middle class, 51% were broken up into upper middle class and lower. Look at this income inequality, 2015, 50% middle class, upper and lower. And this is where we're going. Shrinking middle class. Most of them are on the plantation and a small upper class. This is what it's about. 
Black, white, yellow, red, we're all going on the plantation. Brought to you by Bill Gates, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, the Kennedys. And it's time we wake ourselves up. If we want to unify people, let's look at the reality. Infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. Because it's with infrastructure we create innovation. Where did I create email? In Newark, where nothing's supposed to come out of, I was given infrastructure, some computers to use, a loving family, and good teachers who believed in me. That's the triangle that creates innovation. A 14-year-old boy created TV in Franklin, Idaho. Innovation, anytime, any And what is innovation, Bradley? It's the essence of being human. When we create, it's the essence of God being within us. When you deny that only these people can innovate, that's racism. It's against the human race. Because being human, DNA, in our DNA, is innovation. Every human. Every human. So when you say... Only these people can innovate. Bill Gates, a dropout, or Mark Zuckerberg, or Shiva Ayyadurai when he goes to MIT. You see the problem they got with the story of the invention of email. The reason I'll bring it up, because it's truly about human racism. It says that if you go to MIT, then we'll box you in as an innovator. You're the nerd. But if you do it in Newark, uh-uh. Bradley uh, Souffrant cannot invent email in Brockton. He's got to be anointed at MIT. You see what I'm saying? That's the racism. And whether you're white or black, we got to get in our heads. It's innovation is what makes us human. And when you define who is dumb, who's smart, that's racism. So when I grew up in India, my caste was supposed to only be good. We were dumb. We were only supposed to pick coconuts. These people are only supposed to do sanitation. These people are supposed to wear a Klansman hood. That's the racism. And when we realize this, when we really realize this, this the, the deep state is over. Charlie Baker's over. Marty Walsh is over. And you're not going to have 40,000 people being corralled. Go ahead. So I, I feel like, you know. Can you speak closer to the mic, Bradley? Can you get closer? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, much better. Go ahead. I feel like the ideology that you're speaking of is going to be one that people who are, like, let's just say 20 years from now, if they learn your ideology now, let's just say you were to build a school. I was what? Let's just say you were to build a school, right? Yeah. With a curriculum that was to mold the younger generation into growing up as young Dr. Shiva. Now you can have these disciples go out into the world and become what you're preaching to us right now. Well, you know what? Let's put it into action, Bradley. You tell me I have a building in Cambridge. I have an auditorium. Let us start seminars on real racism right away. And it's going to be on truth, freedom, and health lecture. You bring all your people black and white. Let's start training young people. Because we cannot be fooled again by the Kennedys. I'm running against Joe Kennedy, a complete fool. Complete fool. Here's a guy who's got $51 million in the bank and thinks he should be senator. And a lot of black folks, a lot of Aunt Jemima's and Uncle Tom's are going to corral people to vote for that idiot or Markey. 
And a lot of people are going to corral people to vote for the Republican establishment guy that they're running. It's time that we win. We've got to win this election in Massachusetts for U.S. Senate because it'll be a bomb exploded and it'll be a bomb that'll stop racism. I'm telling you, our election in Massachusetts, we have 50 days, man. We got to win this. And it's up to people like you. Wait a minute, let me finish. It's up to people like you, young people, getting their heads screwed on right this generation. If we don't, if we follow the Black Lives Matter nonsense, it's part of the look, black lives do matter. I call it the BLDM movement, not BLM. Black lives do matter. But that means we gotta bring people together to understand who the real enemy is. Harvard University is a fifty billion dollar hedge fund. Look, why don't we tell Harvard to take all their money, all of it, give back all their money back to the people. They don't pay any taxes. They don't pay property taxes. They lie. They cheat. Why don't, why don't we make that Dr. Chiva's institution for retraining all people on what real racism is? It's possible. So I'm saying we got to win. We Right now, we have a Senate election. Yeah. My last question is, how can people get involved with your campaign to aid you in winning and aid you in getting support? Look, the first thing people need to do is we have a primary coming up. A primary is the Democrats. I'm, I'm running as a Republican. By the way, I don't give a damn about either party. They both are horrible. Last time I ran as an independent, I got 100,000 votes and both parties kept me off the debate stage. This time I'm running as a Republican, okay? Because I want to go right into the heart of that party. That party was supposed to be meritocracy, bottoms up. It was a party of Lincoln, right? It was a party of a lot of black people used to be involved in that party, right? Frederick Douglass. So it's time for working people to seize control of that party. The Democrats are completely gone, okay? So September 1, everyone write this down, September 1. So people are outside of the United States listening. You got to tell all your friends in Massachusetts. People are outside of Massachusetts, tell your friends. September 1 is a primary election. We must win that primary. Winning that primary is like a bomb went off for the Republican establishment. So every person listening, if, you, if you're whatever you're registered as, if you're a Democrat and you don't want to register as a Republican, go register as no party unenrolled, which means then you can vote in the, Repu in the Republican primary. Because in Massachusetts, we really have three groups, Democrats, unenrolled, which means no party, and, and, and uh, Democrat, right? Republican, unenrolled. There's 60% of Massachusetts is no party unenrolled. They, when they go to vote, they can say, I want to vote Republican or Democrat. September 1, Bradley, everyone listening must go vote in the Republican primary for Shiva for Senate. So if you're a Democrat, go re-register as a no party unenrolled, and you can vote. If you don't, if you hate the Republicans, it's fine. If you're independent, go there and say, I want the Republican ballot. We got to get all the black folks, all the minorities, all poor white folks voting not for Democrats anymore. If they hate the Republicans, fine, I can understand why. But they should register as unenrolled. No party, because they can go either way. And the other thing people should do is they should go right up to shivaforsenate.com. Anyone listening right here? And if you go to shivaforsenate.com, we have a great page there 
You can go right to the top of the website and you can volunteer right off this website. Right off this website right here, there's a big volunteer button. People can volunteer and they can join the campaign. Okay, let me go to volunteer. And they fill it in and they'll automatically be connected to our sector leaders all over Massachusetts. Okay, we have lawn sign pickup locations. You can get a lawn sign, but we need people involved. We don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time. And the reason I'm saying this is the establishment wants race war. That's what they want. They want blacks and whites fighting, particularly the poor blacks and the poor whites. So volunteer, pick up a lawn sign. And if you say, Bradley, let's get the youth, we can hold a seminar online or in my building. We just had 200 people show up. We had an amazing barbecue. No masks. Bullshit. No masks. Okay? Fake science. We have, by the way, we have to all stop defying this nonsense. We have to, def we have to, we have to fight against this mask stuff. This is racism of a certain kind. The mask and the no mask people. Right? So I'm saying to your point, let's start educating people because there can be no revolution there can be no change without a political theory of change. And I have that theory. We have to educate people. But once people understand, the reason I give that Boston free speech rally example is they will do this again and again and again. They will get these people who sound good, who quote unquote look good. The Kennedys spend so much of their money on photographs. Do you know that? They have a photographer following around Joe Kennedy, taking pictures of black people, acting like he's concerned. They're Hollywood, man. It's all bullshit. So we need to educate people. Because if we get, my views, we don't need a lot of people, but if we get 100 of you, it's over for them. It's over. So let's educate, educate, educate. And if not blacks, whites, brown, red, all of us have got to come together and realize that where we're headed in this country is while we're fighting among ourselves, they're living on Martha's Vineyard, talking bullshit about climate change, Barack Obama. They're talking all, and they hang out with each other. They sleep with each other. They got Harvey Weinstein and Epstein as friends. They bang each other. I'm telling you, these people are incestuous. That's what they do. The black and white, brown, yellow aristocracy against the rest of us. It's the aristocracy versus us. That's what it's about. Is there um, any events coming up and any last things you would like to tell the viewer before we leave this live? Yeah, so everyone should remember on July 11th, Bradley, we should do a big promotion. We're holding a massive event. It's called Build Community, Boost Immunity. Build Community, Boost Immunity. It's going to talk to people about how we all got to get together, black and white. And we're doing it, guess where, in Mattapan, in a big lot. One of the great business owners there is giving us his lot, July 11th. That's D-Day for bringing all of us together. Build community, boost immunity. We're going to talk about how the African-American community health has been destroyed. The health, a lot of diabetes, highest infant mortality rate in the Western world, lowest longevity rates. High. This is being caused by the medical establishment. They do not want healthy poor people. They want poor people, ill health, so we never fight for freedom, okay? 
They want obese people. They want people who have type 1 diabetes. They want people eating crap. And they want to make it hard for them to get organic food. All these liberal white people putting Black Lives Matter, they get to eat non-GMO, nice organic food at Whole Foods. But you know what? Black people in inner cities can't get that. White people in inner cities can't get that. And they'll talk all their bullshit. Oh, yeah, Black Lives Matter. They don't give a damn about Black Lives. Come on. They don't. So it's got to come bottoms up. We got to bring black, white, red, yellow together to understand the real racism. So July 11th, 2 p.m. to 7 p.m. music, but it's not just going to be us dancing and what they want us to do. We're going to educate ourselves. We're going to get smart. We got to win September 1, Bradley, because Massachusetts is the epicenter of worldwide racism. It's the epicenter. Harvard University is where they map out racism for the world. Harvard is where all the geniuses are, the clever people mapping out chess masters of racism. That's what we got to understand. That's why our movement, Shiva for Senate, must win. We don't have a lot of time. I'm telling you, 2020 is going to be the inflection point, whether this country goes into hell or we go into the golden age. And it's people like you, your generation, like you're recognizing, has got to get really smart. They got it. They can't be bamboozled anymore. They can't be taken advantage of by Marty Walsh's and Charlie Baker's to end up going to a free speech rally when there's a, a black man there, me, with white folks. And if you saw the picture of all the people, it was black, white, yellow. Those 40 of us were all, it was a whole spectrum. By the way, you know what's interesting? The LBGTQ logo, it's interesting. They don't have black or brown or white in that logo, in their rainbow. I find it very interesting, okay? You know the LBGT rainbow colors? Have you noticed they're missing black, brown, and white? I find it interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've noticed. Yeah, so what I'm saying is all of these ways that they talk about racism and bringing people together, it's actually to support racism. It's the, they're the devils. So it's up to us, Bradley, bottoms up, bottoms up, bottoms up, bottoms up. So July 11th, but I'm saying between now and July 11th, let's start holding some seminars online to educate people on this thing of real racism, who the real racists are. Because when people get it, my view is about 100 people from the African-American community get this, it's over for these Uncle Toms. They're gone. We need a hundred Malcolm X's, a hundred Shivas. You know, it's over for them. I, I completely agree, and um, I can say, man, definitely nice to hear your platform. Definitely good to hear that we have somebody genuine running for Senate. Um, I believe that if you was to come out in person into my city, that people would receive you and understand that you were genuine. Um, again, moving forward. Bradley, let's do this. Let's set a date in Brockton. I'll bring the bus down and you know set it up and we'll be there. Okay, man. We can, let's we do can it this week. We can set it up. Let's do it this we week. Set it you know? up. Yeah. We can Bradley, what I, what I really uh, love about this conversation is very, very great that you are doing your activism, that you're open to educating yourself and getting ready for the real fight. Okay, so we're gonna. I'm I'm very excited that there's people like you out there. I was getting very 
disappointed, but the fact that you're out there, people like Barbara are out there, your generation, if we get the political theory right, I'm telling you, the establishment, the deep state is over. It's over for them. That's why this election, Shiva for Senate, must galvanize people like you. You guys got to be leaders now, real leaders, real leaders. And I can educate you on that. So let's start. We have we have very little time. I'm here to, to 24 by 7. Do the thing in Brockton, July 11th. Let's escalate, escalate, escalate. We got to educate people, man. They got to break from the liberal elite. And when I say the liberal elite, it's not just the Democrats. It's the liberal elite broadly, okay? All right. So good, Bradley. Bradley's awesome, man. Thank you, man. And if anybody's out there, um, again, I'm going to utilize my platform to share more on his platform. If anybody out there would like to follow me um, on Instagram, Bradley Soufrant, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y-S-O-U-F-F-R-A-N-T. Same thing for Facebook. Plug in. Um, again, we have so many opportunities coming up. So much moves that's about to be made. 2020 is the year that change is made. Yeah, and it's going to come from the right political theory. Look, there was a time, and I'll end with this, you know, we used to burn wood, right? We used to burn a lot of wood to get heat, right? Because politically or, or uh, scientifically, we only knew about burning carbon. But then some guy called Einstein figured out if you can smash an atom with another atom, you can create a fission reaction. Well, that led to the atom bomb. A little amount of plutonium like this generates more heat and energy than billions of amounts of uh, trees, right? Where did that come from? A theoretical, from a scientific discovery. And I'm telling you, the scientific discovery in politics is a not-so-obvious establishment, is the Uncle Toms and the Aunt Jemimas. And once people understand that political discovery, it's a nuclear weapon. But if people get caught into the Uncle Toms and the liberal elite, it's like burning wood versus having a nuclear bomb. They're going to be misled, wasting a, a ton of time. So what I'm sharing with you is scientific political theory. And that's science. Once 100 people understand, it's 100 people having a nuclear bomb versus a million people burning wood. You understand the difference? Yeah, that's the crazy analogy, man. Yeah. Yo, that's why political theory. What's that? I said, I look forward to your seminars, man. You're, you're a teacher. That's what you are. You're a teacher. Right. You are teaching the masses how to be conscious. We don't have enough of that, man. Look, the ultimately, uh, know the truth, be the light, and find your way. It's educating people to bring up the light in themselves so they can be a light unto the world. And I can turn that on because I've been fortunate to get all this education, and I don't work for the master, Okay. I work for people because I know where I come from. I work for everyone here. But it's time that we get lots of people educated so we can have a thousand, you know, of us. So it's not just me. So let's do So here's here's your homework assignment since I'm your teacher. Number one, Brockton. Number two, July 11th. Number three, let's organize two seminars for other people to educate them on real racism and truth. I'll make it a course, two-hour course. We'll have it exam and we'll do a seminar in my office or online okay all right let's do it all right bradley thank you be well thank god you. bless you bye well god bless you as well thank you
And by the way, to everyone listening, that was Bradley Souffrant. You can follow him, as you said, as he said on Instagram, S-A-S-O-U-F-F-R-A-N-T. And in closing, everyone uh, listening, I hope you enjoyed this. This was a very powerful discussion on racism. Okay, we'll be putting up the events. I'm going to start teaching people. I'm going to hold a seminar on real racism and how do we actually fight it. And those of you listening, please take time to support our campaign. Go right to shivaforsenate.com, right to our website. Remember, you can donate to the campaign right here. And when you donate to the campaign, I give you a very powerful ebook, System and Revolution. You get access to a tool called Your Body, Your System. Those of you outside of the United States, you can go right to Your Body, Your System directly, and you can get it. It's a tool that understands your body as a system, how you can use inputs, food, supplements, et cetera, to get you back on course. And then in addition, those people who are in the uh, anywhere in the world, uh, in addition to supporting the campaign, you can become volunteers and you can get your friends to become volunteers. We have less than 50 days left to win this election. We must win in Massachusetts. And the reason we must win, as I was just telling Bradley, is because this election is for truth, freedom, and health. We gotta win, we gotta win, we gotta win. It's more than a political move, a political election. It's a movement. So everyone, tell your friends, Shiva for Senate. Tell your friends to support the campaign. Tell your friends to volunteer. Thank you. Be well, be the light. Let's win this fight. Thank you.